How many of you know that the Lord deserves all of our praise and all of our blessings? Amen. I'm glad that you can be in the Lord's house this evening. I know that God has a word for us. I know that he's kind of preached the word to me first. And so I've kind of had to humble myself to receive it. And I pray tonight that you'll be able to do the same exact thing. I don't know how the service is going to go. I just know that I've committed myself to the Lord and share whatever it is that he puts on my heart, however he wants me to, to share it. But before we go any further, as always, let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's anointing and covering upon us. Father God, we just bless your holy, righteous name. We thank you, Father God, for being in our midst this evening, Father God, for coming into our presence. And we consider it an honor, Father, just to be able to come into your presence. Let us never take it lightly, God, but let us make the most of our opportunity this evening to hear from you, Father God. I pray that you would open up our hearts, Father God, all of our hearts, including mine. To receive this word with gladness, Father God, that it would find a place in, a, in the, the fertileness of our soul. And God, I pray that you would come against anything that would cause your word to uh, cause us to be distracted. Anything that might come against us that would uh, try to hinder us from receiving what it is you have for us this evening. Anoint me, Father God. Anoint my mind, my words, my body, my lips, that I might bring forth the gospel of God. I pray that you would anoint the ears and the hearts of those that listen, Father, so that they might be conformed to your image, as might I. I give you the praise and the glory, and all God's people said, Amen. Uh, wrong slides, whoever's, whoever's got that back there. Is anybody back there? We've got the wrong slides, because we did that last week. Um, tonight I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to go ahead, and hopefully they can catch up. If not... I'm just going to go tonight. We're going to talk to you about holiness church. I want to talk to you about the holiness of God and the holiness that we are to demonstrate and pursue and perfect in our own lives as well. I know that there's so much to cover about holiness uh, that I'm not going to be able to even to me seems like even put a dent in what I feel I could share with you. But what I'm going to do is to do the best that I can to put on, to, to give to you what the Lord has put on my heart, at least what the Lord has put on my soul concerning this. If, if I go to next week and he has me do that, but I know that there's some things specifically that he wants me to touch on and some things that he wants me to cover. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. I know that holiness isn't a popular subject. But it's what the Holy Spirit has put on my heart to preach. I know that it's not uh, a popular topic, uh, but I know that it's what we need to hear. And when I say we, I don't just mean us. I mean the church. I mean, I mean the, the, the house of God as a whole. It's what we need to hear. We need to hear it because Hebrews 12:14 tells us that without holiness, we shall not see the Lord. Without the holiness that we're going to talk about tonight, we shall not see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We need it, church, because Isaiah 35, 8 tells us, says this, and a highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the highway of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it. You see, the unclean won't pass over it because it's like I've told you time and time again, not that you need to hear it again, but because it goes with what I'm preaching. The highway of heaven, church, is reserved for the righteous. It's reserved for the godly. It's reserved for the holy, for those who have set themselves apart for God's sacred purpose in their life. That's what holiness is, church. 
Holiness doesn't mean being good. Holiness doesn't mean being as good as you can be because our goodness, church, man's goodness pales in comparison to the holiness of God. Holiness doesn't mean being perfect. Because you or I are never going to reach perfection until we see the perfect one. You and I are never going to reach perfection until we see him face to face, the Bible tells us. You and I are never going to reach perfection until until this uh, mortal body takes on immortality. You and I, church, are never going to be perfect until our feet come off the ground and we're taking, taken up into the, the presence of the Lord. That's when we'll, we'll be perfect. So yeah, I, what we need to understand. You see, there's a lot of a, a lot of people out there that will strive to be perfect, but they'll never achieve it. They'll never reach perfection. We cannot. We're flawed uh, individuals and we cannot reach perfection. And God doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to be holy. He calls us to be set apart, church, for his sacred purposes here on this earth. And he wants us to be holy as he is holy. That's what it doesn't mean, church. Holiness means set apart for God's sacred purpose and will. It means pure and it means without stain. That's the definition of it. But the principle of holiness is this. The principle of holiness involves drawing a line around that which belongs to God. The principle of holiness means drawing a line around that which is associated with God. You see, Israel was considered a holy nation because they were set apart by God from every other nation. They were considered a holy nation because they were the only nation associated with God. They were considered a holy nation because God reached down in his infinite purpose and he drew a line around the children of Israel and he said, you are my people. You see, he drew a line around the Israelites and he called them his own. And I want you to understand in the same way today, those who are holy are those that draw a line around their life and say, I belong to God. We need to understand what holiness really means. The children of Israel, according to Leviticus 20:24, God said, I am the Lord, your God, who has separated you from the people's. He separated them from every other individual, every other nation, every other group of people on the earth and said, you belong to me. You are separated out. But see, he didn't just separate them out. He gave them a sacred purpose. And we talked about it a little bit last week that every one of us have a divine purpose. Every single one of us, when we have been called out by God, have a sacred purpose in our life. Every single one of you that are here that have responded to the voice of God in your life, that you have heard the voice of God. And he has made you his own because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of the work. I want you to understand that God is saying to you, I have a sacred purpose for your life. I want you to know that that this world, and we talked a little bit about it last week, your purpose in life isn't to drive a Cadillac. Your purpose in life isn't to drive around in a BMW. Your purpose in life isn't to have your name put up in lights. Your purpose in life is to be holy as God is holy. That's your purpose and it's my purpose. That is our sacred purpose that we cannot lose sight of. And we must understand as those that have been called out by God that we are to be set apart and pure. We are to be set apart from this world and set unto God. It's what holiness means and it's what holiness calls us to.
the word of God. God spoke to his people in second Corinthians six seventeen. He was referring again to the Old Testament when he said, you are to come out from among them and be separate. You are to come out from among them and be holy. The same word applies when God talks about being separate. He talks about being holy. When he talks about being separate, he means coming out from that which is unclean, coming out from that which is unpure, coming out from that which is not like God and consecrating yourself to that which is like God. It's what holiness means and it's what God is calling us to. He says you are to touch no unclean thing. You see, when God calls you out... You are not to touch any unclean thing. When God calls you out of this world, you're not to go back into the world and touch those unclean things. Why? Because you have been set apart. You have been set aside for a sacred purpose. And when we touch the unclean thing, we're no longer holy. When we touch the unclean thing, we are no longer set apart to God for His sacred purpose in our life. And we can't fulfill that purpose in our life when we spend our time touching all the unclean things. He said, do not touch any unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and you shall be my daughters. This is what it means to be holy. To be the son or daughter of the Most High God means we've got to be holy. It means we've got to be set apart to our Father and to His purpose and His plan and His goal and His vision and His dreams in our lives. It says, you shall be my son. It's why they were holy, church. They were set apart. It's why Israel was considered holy because they were set apart. Listen, they weren't perfect. They made all sorts of mistakes like you and I do. But they, God still called them His holy nation because He set them apart and had a holy purpose for them, and He has one for us. To give you an understanding of this, in the Old Testament times, church, when a thing, when an object, when something like a piece of furniture that belonged to the tabernacle, that belonged to the temple, when it was sanctified at church, it was considered holy unto God. When a table was sanctified and brought into the temple, it was, it was holy unto the Lord. When any little utensil that was used in the tabernacle, when the little shovel that was used to, to, to scoop up the ashes from the altar, when it, was, when it was sanctified, that was the only thing it was to be used for. It was sanctified for a specific purpose. There was a design God had for every little utensil and instrument that had anything to do with the temple, anything to do with the tabernacle. And it was only used for that. It was never to be used on for any other purpose except for that which it was dedicated. And I hope you're grasping what I'm saying. If a little utensil, if a little piece of metal that's used to, to dig out, to scoop up ashes, or, or a little uh, a, a wick uh, thing that was used to light the candles or, or a, a lampstand or a table which incense would be burned on. If those things had a sacred purpose and were to only be used for that which glorified the Father. If those things, these inanimate things, were only to be used for those things that they were dedicated to, how much more should we, as the children of God, be dedicated to that purpose which is sacred? This is what holiness is all about, and this is what the Lord wants to speak to us, church. We need to be holy as He is holy. In the same way, the holy person in the Bible is the one that had a line of definition drawn around his life. And their lives 
were consecrated to God. I told you before, he came down and he drew a line around the children of Israel. And today, in today's time, he draws a line around you and me. He draws a line of definition around your life and a line of definition around my life. And anything that he draws that circle around, he says, belongs to me. Everything about our life. Look, when he draws a line around you, he draws a line around your marriage. And he draws a line around your finances. And he draws a line around your business. And he draws a line around your job. When God comes down, he doesn't just come and draw a line around who you are. He draws a line around everything that you are. And he says, this belongs to me. I want you to understand that, that if we call ourselves Christians, our marriage belongs to God. Our sons and daughters belong to God. Our business belongs to God. Our job belongs to God. Our car belongs to God. Our home belongs to God. Everything about us belongs to God. And listen, everything about what belongs to God is to bring glory to God. If you're doing things in your house that you shouldn't be doing, guess what? Your home is no longer holy. Your home is no longer sacred. If you're allowing pornography to come into your home, if you're watching things you shouldn't watch on the TV, you are... Your, your home is no longer sacred. God wants your home to be sacred. If you're allowing junk to come into your marriage that doesn't belong in your marriage, your marriage is no longer sacred and set apart to God. If you're, if you're wheeling and dealing with your finances, if you're doing things that are not just and things that are not right with your money, your money is no longer sacred. Your money is no longer set apart unto God and it cannot bring Him glory. This is what we need to understand. When God calls you, He draws a line around your entire life and says, that belongs to me. He doesn't only say it to us, He says it to the devil. He draws a line around us and He says to the devil, they belong to me. Their money belongs to me. Their marriage belongs to me. Their mind belongs to me. Their sons and their daughters belong to me. But listen to what we do. We take that which belongs to God and we allow the devil to toy around with it. We take that which belongs to God and we allow the devil to dirty it. We take that which belongs to God and we open up the doors of hell into our lives instead of the windows of heaven. This is not what holiness is all about. God is telling us that everything about our life when we commit ourselves to Christ belongs to God. And every area of our life should bring glory to the Father. The way that we talk, listen, the way that we talk should glorify Him. Every area of our life should glorify the Father because it belongs to God. With all of my heart, church, I believe that it is time for the people of God to start drawing some lines around their life. I believe it is time for the church to begin drawing some lines of definition around the church. I believe that it is time for the household of faith to start drawing some lines around their sons and around their daughters, around their marriages and all of these things that I've talked about. It's time that we draw a defining line around our life and tell the devil and tell the world and tell God, I belong to you. Everything about me, God, belongs to you. I'm drawing a defining line. And listen, when you draw a defining line around your life, you don't cross over it. When you draw a defining line in your life, there's things you don't allow into it. 
You see, it's exactly why God told the children of Israel, when I draw that line, there's things you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to go marry other women. You're not supposed to do this and you're not supposed to do that. I drew a defining line around your life and you are to move, live and move and breathe within that defining line. And there's things that you should not allow in to that line as well. But what we do, we allow the devil to cross the line. We allow jealousy to cross the line. We allow envy and greed and, and bitterness to cross the line. We allow the things of this world, pornography and all the vices and the lusts of the world, to cross over the defining line that God has established in our lives. And then we wonder why we don't look like God. We wonder why we're overcome by the enemy. We wonder why, because the walls have come down telling you, I know, I know the next series that I'm coming to, and that series is going to be about the rebuilding of the walls. It's going to talk about rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem and the ten gates that are represented because we need spiritual restoration. We need some spiritual rebuilding in the house of God. And it starts with an understanding of holiness. And this is what we must do in our life. We must do that. We must draw some lines around those things that the devil has been attacking and coming at the only reason that the devil has room in those areas of your life is because you have not drawn a defining line around that area of your life. A defining line that, you're, that, the, that the old man has no access to. This is what holiness is all about, church. But in order for that to happen, in order for God's sacred purpose to be established in our lives, in order for us to be fashioned into his likeness, we must, have, we must understand the holiness of God. It's what I'm going to look at mostly tonight with the, the time that we have left. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. How many of you are glad we've got a God that's sitting on a throne, filled with authority, and he's high and lifted up? There's no one higher than our God, amen? And I thank God for that. But he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they flew, or were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And the Bible goes on and says, At that moment, Isaiah cried out and said, you know it, woe to me. He cried out and said, woe unto me, for I am ruined. He cried out and said, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a nation of unclean people. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. And I don't know about you, church, but I believe with all of my heart that the people of God need an encounter with God like Isaiah did. I believe with all of my heart that the church of God needs an encounter with God like Isaiah did. If we ever as a nation need an encounter with God, we need one now. And we need that type of encounter like Isaiah had, church. We need an encounter with God that has the ability to tear apart the very fabric of our soul like it did with Isaiah. We need an encounter, church, that, that has the ability to bring us to nothing, that has the ability to, to undo who we are. 
It's exactly what Isaiah said when he saw the, the holiness of God. He became undone, the Bible says. We need an encounter, church, with the holiness of God that can undo our pride. It can undo our selfishness and undo our stubbornness and undo our egos and undo all of those things that, that don't bring glory to the Lord. You see, there are times in our life where God has to undo us. We've put together this little package. We've put together what we think looks good in front of God's eyes and put together this little package that looks good in the eyes of man. We put together this nice little self-righteous package and think we can present it to the Lord. But there comes a time, church, in every one of our lives where the holiness of God has to undo us. There comes a time in our lives where every single one of our souls must be undone, where we see ourselves for who we really really are someone who desperately needs God. Someone who in the midst, amen, someone who in the midst of their righteousness and good deeds and good works and all of the things that they think they've done great for God, all comes undone because of the holiness of God that we have come in contact with. You see, we need an encounter with God that has the ability to undo who we are so that we might become more like Him. You see, the only way that you're going to become more like Christ is when, when you become undone. The only way that Jeff Merriman will ever become more like Jesus Christ is when Jeff Merriman becomes undone. The, the Bible says, I must decrease so that he must increase. And if I'm never willing to go to that place in my relationship with God where I let Him undo me... I'll never be like God. I'll never be like Jesus Christ. I'll never be a reflection of the Father. I'll never be the light that He calls me to be or the salt that He calls me to be, church. We need an encounter like Peter that drives us to our knees and causes us to cry out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter loved Jesus with all of his heart, but there was a moment in his life when he encountered a, a, a character of Christ, a character of God that he had never seen before. There was some revelation that came into Peter's life concerning Christ. And when he saw the holiness of Christ, he fell on his face. And he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. He saw himself for who he was in the light of God's holiness. We need an encounter like Job had. Caused him to cry out and say a very similar thing. He said, I have heard about you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes. And after seeing you with my eyes, I abhor myself. I hate myself. I hate what I see in light of who you are. He abhorred himself. And the most amazing thing about that passage of Scripture in Job 42, 5, 6. God called Job the most righteous man on earth. In the eyes of the world, in accordance to all the earthly standards, Job was the most righteous man on earth. But what happened to him when he saw the holiness of God? What happened to him when he caught a glimpse of the glory and the holiness and the perfection of God? He fell down on his face. He fell down on his knees. And he said, God, I hate what I see in myself. 
There's got to come a point in our lives, church, where we're willing to take that deep of a look into the eyes of God. Uh, uh, that deep of a look into our own sinful soul and say, God, I hate what I see. I hate what I see. David cried out those prayers time and time again. He hated what he saw in himself. It's why God said he's a man after God's own heart, because it's what David wanted more than anything. He hated how despicable he was. He hated all of his faults and hated all of his failures. And we need to come to that place, too. If we want holiness in our lives, if we want to be a reflection of the Father, we've got to be brave enough to take a look at the holiness of God and brave enough to look at the, the sinfulness of our soul. We've got to hate who we are. We've got to hate who we are in order to love God like we're supposed to love God. Oh, my Lord, so many of us are so stuck on ourselves. We think we're the greatest thing since sliced bread and toilet paper. We need an encounter with God. We need a glimpse of His holiness that reminds us exactly who we are. Sinful individuals in desperate need of a Savior. This is what we need, church. Oh, it's not, it's not what we like to hear, but it's so desperately what we need. We need to be reminded on a regular basis that we need God. We need to be reminded on a regular basis that there are none that are righteous. No, not one. And guess what? I'm part of that equation. The only way I'll ever be righteous is by allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to wash over my soul and take out every bit of sin. Crucify it on the cross. This is, what the, this is the process of holiness I'm talking about, church. He said, I have heard about you, but now I've seen you. And when I saw you, I saw a reflection. I, I saw myself and I hate what I see. They all responded. Listen, church, every one of these individuals that I talked about responded to the holiness of God. They didn't respond to the love of God. They didn't respond to the power of God. In these passages, they did not respond to the knowledge of God, all-knowing, all-powerful. They didn't respond to any other attribute in these passages of Scripture other than the holiness of God. When they saw the holiness of God, something happened in their heart. When they saw the holiness of God, listen to me, when we, when we see the holiness of God, something happens in our heart. Listen to me, I want you to clearly understand this. When we come into the presence of God, when we open up His, how many of you know this is the holiness of God? This is the complete perfection holiness of God. There's not one error in here. There's not one ounce of darkness in here. There's not one lie in here, one ounce of deception in here. There's no shadow or variance in here. This is the holiness of God, the complete purity of God. Every time we, we look at the Word of God, the Holy Word of God, any time we hear the, the Holy Word of God, something happens in our soul. One of two things. No one can stay the same when they listen to the Word of God, when they hear the Word of God, when they come into the presence of a holy God. No one will ever stay the same. One of two things will happen. You will either break and become more like God. Your heart will either be softened and opened and nudged a little more towards God, or it will get harder. 
it will get harder because it doesn't like what it hears because pride doesn't want to let it break. Something will always happen. The question is, when you come into the holiness of God, when you step into his presence, when you open his holy word, what's happening in your heart? Is it breaking? Is it getting soft? Is your soul becoming undone or is it getting harder Is it getting stiffer? Is it turning itself and setting itself more and more against God? Holiness sets itself towards God. Stubbornness turns itself away from God. And we need to allow the holy word of God and the holiness of God to soften our soul, to change us and transform us into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen? When Isaiah saw the awesome majesty of God's holiness, he said, woe to me. He said, I'm undone because he saw his uncleanness compared to God's perfect purity. That's what caused him to become undone. When he saw God's holiness, he saw a sin for what it really was, church, repulsive and repugnant. We don't hear a whole lot about sin anymore. We don't hear much about the repulsiveness of sin. We don't hear a whole lot how it just turns God's stomach and turns God's sight. We don't hear a whole lot. I'm not saying to hear. I'm saying as the church in general, we don't hear a lot about sin. Because people don't like to hear it. It makes them uncomfortable. It causes the offerings to go down. It causes a lot of difficulties in in churches. I know pastors that have been removed from the church or not asked to come back to the church because they preached on sin. I'm thinking, good Lord, that's what Jesus Christ came for, to free us from our sin. And we've got pulpits that won't even allow us to preach it. And I wonder how free that church is. That church has got to be bound up. That church can't be having any freedom. The Spirit of the Lord can't be operating in that church. That's a whole other service, and I don't want to go there. But when Isaiah saw God's holiness, he saw a sin for what it really was. He couldn't stand what he saw in himself. Because of what he saw in God. And that was God's holiness. Remember, this was the prophet of God. Isaiah was a good man. Isaiah was a righteous man. He was the servant of the Lord. But when he saw the holiness of God, he couldn't stand what he saw in himself. And I couldn't help but ask myself, and I'll ask you, when's the last time you couldn't stand what you saw in yourself? When's the last time you opened up what is called the mirror to God? And this is a mirror. It allows us to see ourselves for who we really are. It cuts through all the facades. It cuts through all the, the makeup. And I'm not talking physical. I'm talking spiritual. It cuts through all the, the junk. It cuts through all the, the facade. It cuts through all the, the cloudiness and, the, and all of that that we, we try to paint our, ourselves up. And it looks through all of it and it shows us for who we really are. And I, I had to ask myself, when's the last time I didn't like what I saw when I read the Word of God? I had to ask myself, when's the last time I I was grieved over those things that grieve God? When's the last time I walked into the house of God and and found myself lost in His presence like I was tonight and began to weep over what I see in my own life as, as that which could be displeasing to the Lord? You see, that needs to be a daily process with us, church. There needs to be a daily examining of our soul and an opening up of our soul and allowing God to reveal to us the things that don't look like God and the the things that don't look like Christ so they can be removed from our lives so we can be holy as He is holy. 
And this is what we need to be willing to do, church. His soul and his estimation of himself. Here's what I want you to, to realize in, in, in regards to Isaiah. His soul and his estimation of himself all crumbled at the sight of a holy God. And sometimes we can have a pretty good estimation of ourselves. And I'm not even saying, I'm not even saying that it's a wrong estimation. I'm not even saying that it's an estimation of ourselves established in pride. Because I don't think Isaiah was a prideful man. I think Isaiah was a righteous man. I think Isaiah strove to do as best as he could in the sight of God. I believe that he was a, a righteous man. But his soul and his estimation of himself all crumbled at the sight of a holy God. Everything about him fell apart, church. And I think, again, this is what has to happen in our lives. Our estimation of ourself has to be based on the holiness of God and not on anything else. When we look at ourselves and we want to evaluate our lives and we want to uh, uh, judge ourselves, not our brothers, ourselves. Listen, we all got enough problems in our own life. We don't need to be judging the people sitting next to us. You see, when you judge the guy sitting next to you, it tells me you haven't judged yourself against God. When I hear somebody come to me telling me all about somebody else, that means that that person hasn't taken a look in the mirror lately. That person hasn't recently looked into the mirror of God's Word and let God reveal to them how wrong or sinful they might be. You see, I'm not saying that we can't stir a brother on to good works. I'm not saying that we can't approach our brother and a sister and say, look, you're doing something that can damage your testimony or you're doing something that can damage your relationship with God. But I'm not about to go. I used to do that. Oh, I used to be all holier than thou and all dogmatic. But lo, the Lord has taught me some lessons. The Lord has taught me some lessons. And I'm part of that equation that I said before that there's none that are righteous. No, not one. And Jeff, you're part of that equation. God used to remind me. It's not my business to judge others. It's my business to, to judge myself, to let the word of God judge me, let the word of God purify me so that I can be a vessel of honor, so that I can do the things God wants me, so I can be holy as he is holy. But here's what we need to understand. You see, instead of Peter or Job or Isaiah... When this thing happened in their life, when they had the occasion or the opportunity to see the holiness of the Lord, they didn't say, blessed, blessed be me. They didn't say, oh, blessed be me because I got to see the holiness of God. They didn't exalt themselves above everyone else and say, oh, I must be so righteous and oh, I must be so good because God granted me the opportunity to see him, to catch a glimpse of his holiness. No, they didn't exalt themselves. You know what they did instead? They cursed themselves. They abhorred themselves. They literally cursed themselves because of what they saw in themselves. You see, when we, uh, th there's no room for spiritual pride when it comes to holiness. There's no room for self-righteousness and condemnation uh, uh, concerning our brothers and sisters in the Lord when it comes to holiness. We need to understand that we just got to stand before the Lord ourselves and do what I just told you to do. We can't exalt ourselves because God is bringing us along in our spiritual walk. We need to constantly be reminded that there's an old man inside of our soul that's trying to resurrect itself. And in order for us to be holy, we got to remain set apart. Listen, Isaiah was the best man in town. He was the prophet that spoke God's word. He was considered righteous by all earthly standards, like I shared a little bit earlier. Yet with one glimpse of God's holiness, he fell apart. With one glimpse of God's holiness, all of these men fell apart. Up until seeing the holiness of God, 
Isaiah compared himself to others. And I'm not saying again in a judgmental way. I'm not saying in a condemning way. But I believe he judged himself. He compared himself to the wickedness of man and found himself righteous before God. And we do the same thing. We, we judge ourselves based on the wickedness of those around us and find ourselves righteous in God's eyes. Well, I'm better than the hooker. I'm better than the prostitute. I'm better than the drunk. I'm better than the adulterer. I'm better than the fornicator. I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. I don't do this. I don't do that. And we judge our spirituality. We judge our righteousness and our holiness based on the wickedness of those around us instead of on the holiness of God. But here's the danger. Listen to me. When you judge yourself against the world or man who every day grows farther and farther away from God, you will be moved. You understand what I'm saying? If this sinful individual is my standard of measure, if this individual in my life is is what I I judge my spirituality against, if if this person, this man uh, who is given to temptation and sin and lust just like I am, if, if I judge myself against the wickedness of the world, the world moves farther and farther and farther away from God every day. And as long as I'm just not like them, if I'm just focused on them and worrying, I'm not like them, I'm not like them. We realize how far away from the Father we've come. That's why God must be our standard of holiness. God must be our standard of righteousness. Why? Because God shall not be moved. God's not moved by temptation. God's not moved by sin. The word of God shall not be moved. It is established forever and ever from the foundation of the earth to the, to the end of time. God shall not be moved. That's why he must be our standard. That's why the word of God must be our standard. This must be the plumb line that you use to build your house of faith. God must be the, 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 the standard. He must be the plumb line that you use to build your house of faith. Guess what? If you don't use it. Your house is going to be crooked. If you don't use it, your house is going to fall. Your house is going to fail. God's holiness must be the benchmark that we use to judge where we are in our walk with him and and our level of spirituality as well. Everything in our lives must be measured against the holiness of God. God's holiness is the benchmark by which we gain an understanding of what sin really is. It's repulsive, like I said. It's repugnant. Job and Peter and Isaiah saw sin for what it really was. And I think we need to be reminded from time to time, church, what sin really is. It turns the heart of God. Sin is what destroys, has destroyed the world. Sin, church, is what has polluted the world. Sin is the, the antithesis of God. It's the exact opposite of God. It's the exact opposite of who He is. That's what sin is, church. Sin is what destroys the image of God or, or likeness of God on this earth and in our lives. Sin is the very thing that separates us from the Father, just like it did Jesus when He was hanging on the cross. You see, here's what you and I need to be reminded. It is our sins upon Christ's shoulders that caused God to have to look away from his son. God didn't look away from his son. God looked away from our sins. And I think we need to keep that in mind. God never looked away from his son, but he had to look away because he was bearing our sins. That's how grotesque sin is. God can't even look at it. 
God couldn't even look at his precious, only begotten son because he was covered in our sin. He was covered in our faults. He was covered in our selfishness and our pride and our envy and our wickedness. He was covered in our sins. And the Holy Father had to look away from his Holy Son because he was draped in our uncleanness. We have to understand how how. Uh, repugnant sin is in the eyes of God that it caused him to have to look away from his only precious son. God hates sin. He hates sin. He despises sin. Sin is not allowed into the presence of a holy God. I think we forget that sometimes. So often we make so light of sin when we have to understand it is the very thing that cost God his son's own life. It's the very thing that has separated us from the Father, and it's the very thing that can keep us from heaven. Sin polluted the Garden of Eden, and sin pollutes our life. Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys lives. Sin destroys minds. Sin destroys the body. Sin destroys relationship. Sin destroys communion. Sin destroys health. Sin destroys joy. Sin destroys peace. Sin destroys our lives. Sin offers nothing but death and destruction, and yet we treat it so lightly. Yet we feel like we can walk into the presence of a holy God with sin draped over our bodies. Listen, understand if God had to look away from his own son, you think he won't look away from you? You think he won't look away from me? When we walk into the house of God with sin draped all over us, without brokenness of heart, without brokenness of soul, without humility, God won't look at us. He won't hear a word that comes from us. Why do you think, I said it last week, why do you think that Jesus had to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because his father had to look away because he was draped in sin. And oh, so nonchalantly we come walking into the presence of God covered in self-righteousness, sweeping sin under the, the, the carpet of our soul. And we think we can come into communion with God. God only sups with the holy. God only dines with the righteous. Now listen to me. He will sit down with the sinner in an effort to to bring them into right relationship with me. But when I'm talking about supping and dining, I'm talking about that seat that is reserved in heaven. That, that seat that we will one day sit down in if we overcome till the end. Understand me when I'm talking about holiness. This is who will enter into the kingdom of God. These, these are the individuals, those that have been set apart, church, for God's sacred purpose in their lives. Peter, Job, Isaiah, the publican that went into the temple to pray, they all measured themselves against the holiness of God. And when they did, it caused them to repent. Every single one of them, when they compared themselves against God instead of man, they all fell on their face and they repented. You know the story, the publican and the, and the, and the Pharisee that went into the temple to pray one day. You know the story. The Pharisee went in and he compared himself to man instead of comparing himself to God. And he stood there so staunch and self-righteous that he couldn't see the sin in his own soul. But the publican came in. When he came into the presence of God, he saw the sinfulness in his soul. He, he saw the holiness of God and realized, what did he say? 
I'm nothing more than a sinner. Have mercy on me, O God. This needs to be the heart's cry. We need to come into the presence of God so that we can be undone. Like I said before, holiness has to be the benchmark that we get. Holiness is the benchmark where we gain an understanding of sin. So often we forget that sin cannot come into the presence of a holy God. And like I said, we do it every week. Why do you think God spoke to Moses and he said, remove the sandals from your feet because you're standing on holy ground? He didn't say remove your feet for any other reason. He said remove the sandals from your feet because you are on holy ground. There's certain sin can't come into the presence of a holy God. I've taught this before and I'm not going to reteach it again. But we need to understand that it was his holiness. It was God's holiness that demanded Moses to take the sandals off of his feet. It's God's holiness that demands our holiness. And I'm going to try to find a place to start wheeling this down. But why do you think there is no brokenness of heart anymore in so many churches? Why do you think there's no brokenness of soul in the house of God? Why do you think there's no weeping over sin? Why do you think there is no uh, coming undone among the children of God? It's because we don't even know what holiness is anymore. It's because we have forgotten that God is holy and sin is repulsive and that it turns the the sight of God. There's no undoing of the soul in the house of God anymore because today's generation has painted God as everything except holy. You know it as well as I do. God is cool and God is hip and, you know, God is everything we want him to be. I've seen t-shirts where it says, God is my homeboy or Jesus is my homeboy. Now, I want you to understand, I'm, I'm sure they're wearing those things in innocence. But I need to stand here tonight and tell you that God is not a homeboy. I need to stand here this evening and I need to tell you that Jesus ain't some boy from the hood. He's not like him. He's not anything like him. I need you to know tonight that my God is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. He's not like anyone else. There is no one holy like our God, the Bible says. We can't compare him to anyone else. We can't compare him to the guy down the street or the boy in the hood or anyone else. We've got to start comparing ourselves to him. The guy in the hood and the homie down the street, he needs to compare himself to Christ. He needs to compare himself to God. We've got it all backwards, church. You see, what we're doing, we're living in a society that would rather fashion a God unto themselves instead of offering themselves unto a holy God. We would rather fashion and form for ourselves a God that's all love, that wouldn't dare send anyone to hell. And even though God is love, he's a holy God. He's a just God. He's a righteous God, and His holiness demands justice. His holiness demands judgment over sin. His his holiness demands justice and judgment over that very thing that sent His Son to the cross. You understand what I'm saying, church? We we can't fashion ourselves, fashion unto ourselves a God that's going to overlook all of our sins and sweep all of our sins under the carpet and let every single person go to heaven just because he's a loving God. I know there's some doctrines out there that everyone's going to heaven, but I need you to understand the God I serve, the God I know is a holy God. Yes, he's a loving God. 
But I want you to know that his love is dictated by his holiness. And I hope you, I don't want to get too teachy. And I just, I'm going to take a couple more minutes. I want you to understand that God's love is dictated by his holiness. The word of God says, if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, he was all loving, but he, he was a holy God. And he, he, he demands obedience. He demands holiness and righteousness in our own lives. Here's what you need to understand. The, that the driving force behind love must always be holiness. The driving force behind love must always be holiness. If that love, listen, remember what the definition of holiness was in the last few minutes. It is being set apart. It is being consecrated unto God. It is being, it is to fulfill a sacred purpose. So if love has no boundaries drawn around it, if love does not have a defining boundary of what it is and what it isn't, that love's going to fail. If holiness isn't driving the attribute of love, that love will fail. Listen, it's just like this. If a man, if a man's love for his wife doesn't have boundaries, if a man's love for his wife isn't driven by holiness, I'll say, if his love isn't set apart to the one he loves, if the love that he has for his wife isn't consecrated to his wife, what's going to happen? He's going to cheat. He's going to give himself to someone else, or she'll give herself to someone else if the role is reversed. You see, holiness must be the driving force behind love. I say it this way. When the woman who was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus, the law said that she was to be killed. The law said she was to be stoned. The law said she was to be taken out of the city and she was to be killed for her adultery. But Jesus comes in on the scene and you know what happens. His love steps in and supersedes the law. His love steps in and supersedes his grace and his mercy. And he says to the woman, he says to the crowd first, he said, all of you who have brought her to be condemned, all of you have brought her to be stoned. The, the one, if there are any among you without sin, let them cast the first stone. And you know the story. Stones started dropping and bodies started disappearing. The woman who had her head down on the ground with tears running down her face, thinking she was going to be killed, all of a sudden, Jesus lifts her up off the ground. I, I'm, not, I'm leaving parts out where Jesus drove, you know, rode in the sand and stuff like that. But I want to get to the part where Jesus lifts the woman from the ground. He looks in her eyes and he says, where are your condemners? He says, where are those who condemned you? Are there any condemners still here? And she looked at Jesus in the eyes and she said, no, sir, none. And Jesus followed up with his love and said, neither do I condemn you. But how many of you know that the story didn't end with God's love? The story ended with God's holiness. He didn't just say, neither do I condemn you and walk away. You see, God's holiness stepped in and drew a line around her life. His holiness, his, his love forgave her sin. His love removed her sin. His love reached out and superseded the law. He offered her life with his love. But guess what? His holiness would not let her live in sin. 
And he drew a line around her life and said, go and sin no more. I love you, but go and sin no more. I've freed you, but go and sin no more. We must understand that God is a holy God. That his love has rescued us. His love has forgiven us. His love has redeemed us. But his holiness will not allow us to live in sin. His love gave us life, but His holiness will not let us live that life in sin. Go ahead and put on the music, because this is where I'm going to end it. You see, we, just like that woman, need to draw a line around our life. We, just like that woman, God has come into our life just like hers and says, You know what? I love you with all of my heart. I've demonstrated it. I've proved it. I've lavished my love upon you, Jesus said. He said, I've demonstrated my love to you in the form of Jesus Christ. And while you were yet a sinner, I died for you. I offered you life through my love. But now I'm asking you to go one step further. You see, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story always is the holiness of God. Read all through the Bible, read all through the Scripture. The end of time, the judgment, our eternal destination, all hinges on the holiness of God. So tonight, here's what I'm saying. God is asking, how many of you are willing to draw a line around your life tonight? How many of you are willing to draw a line around your life, your marriage, your mind, your mouth, your ears, your talents, your skills, your finances, your money? Every area of your life, and you're saying, God, I'm going to draw a line around my life tonight, and I'm going to consecrate myself to you. I'm going to take everything that I have and and implement it in the sacred purpose that you have for my life. If you're willing to do that tonight and say, God, draw a line around me, because I belong to you, I want you to stand to your feet. And that's going to be our prayer. If you can, that's what we're praying. What we're asking God tonight, this is... This is how we achieve holiness in our life. The first step to achieving holiness in your life is doing what you're going to do tonight. You're going to say, God, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. That price was the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And now I belong to you. Now, in everything that I do, in word and in deed, I'm going to do to glorify my Father. And we do that by drawing a line around our life. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for speaking to us. I thank you that you are a just God, a righteous God, a loving God, a faithful God, a giving God. You are a, a, a God that cannot be compared to or equaled to. But God, help us to have an understanding always that you are a holy God. That you have drawn a line of definition around our lives and around the lives of those who call themselves Christians. A line we're not supposed to pass, God. A line that we're not supposed to allow the devil to come into. I'm reminded, Father God, of Adam and Eve. You drew a line around the garden. You gave them authority over that garden. And yet Adam allowed evil to come in. I pray, Father, that we would never do that. God, that we would draw a defining line around our lives, around our mouths, around our eyes and our ears, and 
around our souls and our families, our sons, our daughters, our businesses, our job. Most of all, God, I pray that we would, that we would draw a defining line around our relationship with you. That, Father God, we would not allow anything to come in to defile that relationship that we have with you. That we would not allow anything to come in, Father God, that would ruin that relationship, that would cause it to be unclean. God, we don't want to face your judgment. And I thank you, Father God, that because of your Son, Jesus Christ, we don't have to. So tonight we plead the blood. Tonight I pray, Father God, that you would look past our sin to the work of Jesus Christ. That you would forgive us of our sins, O God, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your Holy Word, by the power of the disciplines that we've learned over the last several weeks, God, to be holy as you are holy. Set apart like you're set apart, consecrated unto you for the sacred purpose you have for our lives. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church? Amen. Amen. I just pray that you go this week pursuing holiness, pursuing God, and staying within those defining lines. If you have a special need, I'd be happy to tarry with you. Otherwise, be blessed and walk in holiness.